Okay. Hello, welcome to Sport Professor Podcast, a show for the sports student and fan who wants to learn more about the underpinnings of the sporting world. I'm your professor, Dr. Drew Sikansky, and today we will deep dive into the world of sport marketing as we introduce and break down the topic of branding. Beginning with a quick overview of what branding is and why it's so important in marketing, we'll then move to discuss how companies, specifically those in sports, go about creating brands, focusing on constructs like brand personality and visual identity. Finally, we'll end with a conversation about how you can take this knowledge and work to build and grow your own brand, and we'll tell you why it's so important that you start doing that today. So, have you ever wondered how sports teams get their names, colors, mascots, or logos, or how athletes like Tiger Woods and Cristiano Ronaldo go about creating a brand worth hundreds of millions of dollars? Then this is the podcast for you. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Sport Professor Podcast. Today, I want to dive back into a topic that we've strayed away from in recent months, and that is this topic of sport marketing. But more specifically, I want to dive into an area that all of you encounter every day of your life, something that affects you as a consumer more than you probably realize, a thing that might be the difference between you buying one product or another, a phenom that could have even driven you or someone you know to become a fan of your favorite sports team. And that is the field of branding. And in talking about branding today, I really want to just focus on three important aspects. First, I want to lay out a foundation, discuss what branding is and why it's so important to the field of sports. Next, I want to break down how organizations have historically gone about creating brands, looking at historic and modern day examples and discussing the so-called do's and don'ts of the branding process. And then finally, I want to end with a conversation about the importance of understanding and building personal brands and how building a personal brand can be a differentiating factor in you getting hired over your competition. But before we get into any in-depth analysis of branding, let's begin as we so often do by setting the table and defining what branding is and how it ties into the world of sports. So a brand is any, quote, name, symbol, term, or design intended for the identification of the product of a seller, end quote. That's our dictionary definition, but in doing research for this podcast, I actually found a different definition, one offered by an individual named Seth Gooden that I liked a little bit better. And Seth said that, quote, a brand is the set of expectations, memories, stories, and relationships that taken together account for a customer's decision to choose one product or service over another, end quote. Now, normally, when I'm discussing branding and I ask people what it is, they talk about the first two aspects of that dictionary definition. They say it's the name of a company and it's their logo. The prime kind of go-to example of this in the world of sports is Nike and their swoosh or checkmark logo and Adidas and their three-stripe logo. But really, If you stop and think about it, every company in the world, by definition, has a brand. Because 
Every company at least has a name. But it's important to remember, though, that a brand is not just a name or the logo that a company uses. As the definition notes, literally anything that is used to help identify a company is part of that company's brand. Any combination of a name, a word, letters, numbers, designs, or coloring all go together to create a brand. So not only is the name Nike or the swoosh checkmark part of the Nike brand, but so too is the catchphrase, just do it. For Adidas, they have a saying, anything is possible. That is part of their brand. Really, anything that makes you think of a company is a part of the company's brand. So the question then becomes, why is branding and identifying aspects of a company so important? Well, those logos, those marks, or those sayings that are tied to a company and its products help distinguish and differentiate that one company from all other companies and all other products. In any marketplace where there is competition between companies for consumers, branding becomes important as if it's done well, it should help the consumer identify who is who or what product belongs to what company. If you see an awesome pair of shoes, for example, and they have no marks on them, no words, no symbols, no logos, then how do you know who made them or where to go to buy them? Conversely, if you see that same awesome pair of shoes, but you see a Nike swoosh on them, then you can easily go and look them up online or go to a retail store and ask for a pair of Nike shoes. The identifiable marks, the branding, makes it easy for you to tell that one pair of shoes apart from all other pairs. And it helps you identify them and buy them over other shoes, helping Nike to generate more revenue. This idea of branding helping to identify the product in the company holds not only for shoe industry or clothing or product lines like food or media, it holds in all industries, including the sport industry. In an article that I published a number of years back with one of my colleagues, Dr. Lee, we wrote, quote, branding serves as a significant business initiative for sport enterprises and the qualities of effective brand management have been well documented in the sport literature, end quote. By that, we mean that scholars, and we could list them, individuals like Keller, individuals like Lee, individuals like Alcro, they have gone through and done research and they have found that stakeholders, individuals that have a stake or ownership in a company or affected by a company's decisions, those stakeholders make mental associations related to a brand that fundamentally drive the production of something that we call brand equity. Lee said in a 2008 article, quote, brand equity is enhanced by the development of one's brand awareness and brand loyalty within the marketplace, end quote. Here, myself and Lee are highlighting a few key constructs that we need to understand before going forward and discussing branding in the sport industry more thoroughly. The first idea that you have heard mentioned is this idea of brand equity, which we defined as, quote, the commercial value that derives from consumers' perceptions of the brand name of a particular product or service rather than the product or service itself. In other words, Brand equity speaks to the value that is attached to the brand. Think of brand equity in terms of how much more would you have to pay for a product that is a quote-unquote 
name brand product versus the generic or store brand product. Normally, just putting that brand name on, whether it's Coach or Nike or in sports, attaching the NBA or NFL brand. Normally, that brand name being attached to a product is going to cause the value of that product to go up, meaning we are going to have to pay more for it. That is what we're talking about when we're talking about brand equity. Now, there are four factors that really influence and affect that value or that idea of brand equity, and that is brand loyalty, brand awareness, brand association, and perceived quality. These four factors are fairly self-explanatory, but let's run through them real quick just to make sure we're all on the same level. Brand loyalty speaks to the devotion of a consumer to a product or service. This is demonstrated by a repeat purchase or repeat consumption of a product or service even in the face of competition trying to persuade you to go and buy their product or their service. For example, a lot of people have a very high level of brand loyalty towards coffee, meaning given the choice, most people will choose to go out and buy their brand of coffee, whether that's Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or Panera or whatever. If you have a high degree of loyalty, then you will probably be willing to maybe even pay more money just to get your brand, or maybe you'll travel a bit further to go and get it or wait in line just a little bit longer to buy your coffee versus your competitors. Well, coffee is a good example of a product that people have oftentimes a degree of brand loyalty to. For the most part, items that we buy in grocery stores oftentimes are fairly low in terms of brand loyalty. Think of it this way. If you need toothpaste and you go to Kroger, and you're going to get your favorite brand, which is Colgate, and you walk down the aisle and you look and there's no Colgate there, what are you going to do? Are you going to hop in your car and go drive across town to a different Kroger or a Walmart or a Target looking for that specific brand? Probably not. What you're probably going to do is you're probably going to look down the aisle, see what types of toothpaste they actually have, and just pick one. So you might have a preference towards the brand, but your degree of loyalty is fairly low. And we see this with a lot of items that we buy in stores. We have a preference for it, but we aren't super loyal to it. We're not going to go out of our way to make sure we get that specific brand. However, the world of sports is a lot different. Just take a second and think of who your favorite team is. It doesn't matter if it's in the NFL or college football or the NBA or college basketball or hockey or soccer, it doesn't matter. Just think of who your favorite team is. Now, given the opportunity, if the team is playing, you're going to try to do everything you can to watch them. So if the team's in your local area, maybe you buy tickets and go to the game. If the team is playing on the road, maybe you try to find them on TV or try to find a way to stream them over the internet. Whatever it is, that favorite team, you are going to try to be loyal to that team and watch them or consume them in some form. Now, let's say that as you're surfing on the TV to try to find that game, you can't find it. What are you going to do? Well, are you just going to watch whatever game you can? Perhaps, but most sports fans won't. Most sports fans will just choose to go do something else with their time. 
It's not like that toothpaste where I'll just grab the brand that's right next to it. Now, if they do choose to just grab the brand right next to it and watch whatever game's on, that's an individual that has a high degree of brand loyalty to that league or that sport. So if I can't find my favorite team playing in the NFL on Sunday, I might watch another game because I'm loyal to the NFL. Regardless of what that is, that still is a high degree of brand loyalty. This is important for sports management and sport marketers because what research has found is that that high degree of brand loyalty can have massive impacts on how I operate. For example... Market research has found that teams with high degrees of brand loyalty have less drastic revenue declines when their team loses. Well, why would that be? Because the fans that are going to be loyal regardless of if we're having a successful season or not. That means that even when we're not having a successful season, those fans are going to come out and try to support us. They're going to still buy tickets. They're going to still buy merchandise. So those teams with the highest degrees of brand loyalty across sports, teams like the Dallas Cowboys, teams like the Los Angeles Lakers, teams like the New York Yankees, even when they go into a slump, they're still able to make money. As a marketer or as someone in sport management, that's huge. Because remember, we can't control what's happening on the field. We can only control what happens behind it. So that's telling me even if the team on the field is losing, we can still generate money. In addition to that, teams with high brand loyalty have a greater ability to charge premium prices for tickets and merchandise. The same thing as these less drastic revenue declines, people that are very attached to their teams are more willing to spend more money to consume the product. If I'm a fan and have a high degree of attachment to New England Patriots, I'm going to be willing to spend more money to show my support for them and go and buy tickets or show my support for them and buy merchandise. So again, something that we can do in sport marketing and sport management to capitalize on that brand loyalty and make money for our organization. In addition to that, teams with fans with a high degree of brand loyalty have been found to have more interest from outside corporations, meaning companies that aren't involved in sports are more likely to want to do deals, to associate with those teams with the highest degree of brand loyalty. Again, think of the teams with the most rabid fan bases. Teams like New England Patriots, Boston Red Sox, the Yankees, the New York Knicks, the Lakers, the Dallas Cowboys. We go over internationally. Think of teams like Barcelona. Think of teams like Real Madrid. Think of teams like Manchester United. Those teams all have rabid fan bases. And corporations outside of sports really want to try to get in and do deals with those teams because that brand association is a way to increase value and make money for those companies. Finally, it's also been found in research that teams with a high degree of brand loyalty also have greater licensing and merchandising opportunities. Put simply, they have the ability to slap their logo onto shirts, hats, merchandise, and sell it. Because people with a high degree of brand loyalty want to display that brand loyalty. They want to show off that they're a fan of that team, and so those individuals are more willing to buy that merchandise.
All of this probably makes the most sense if we look at college sports here in the United States. This group of fans has been found to have a very high degree of brand loyalty, a degree of brand loyalty that oftentimes lasts after students leave colleges. So not only do we have those students that are graduating, we also have people who live in the area that have a high degree of brand loyalty to those schools and people who grew up in that area. And those people tend to be fans for life. So if we look at a school like Ohio State, which is a school in Columbus, Ohio, which is where I grew up, a school where I also happened to get my master's and PhD, you have one of the biggest colleges in the world with over 50,000 students. They graduate around 10,000 students a year. These 50,000 students are extremely loyal to the university and the athletic program. And once those students graduate, those 10,000 students that leave, they don't just give up. Most of them stay pretty well attached, which means because the fans are so loyal, OSU can charge a lot more for tickets than a lot of other schools. They also can do that without fear that if they have one or two or three or four losing seasons in a row, those fans will still continue to come back. We've seen this in college sports with a school like Michigan, whose football program has struggled over the last 10 years. Those fans are still loyal to that university. They still are willing to pay for tickets and to buy merchandise. And as a result of that, other companies... Like Nike, for example, with Ohio State, they really want to get in and do deals with them because the thought that Nike has is, wow, we have these 50,000 people who are there on campus who are big fans and really highly attached to this brand. Why don't we try to tap into that base? Why don't we associate ourselves with Ohio State? So when people think Ohio State, they also think Nike. And in that way, they can work that corporate deal and they can make money as well. So hopefully you can see, just from this simple example and from talking a little bit about what the research has shown, why brand loyalty is such a big deal and why it's one of the key things that we see within sport when we talk about branding. Next, we have brand awareness, which is an essential phase in the construction of what we call perceived value of sport in the mind of a stakeholder. More specifically, it is defined as, quote, the degree of consumer recognition of a product by its name. So when you see a big yellow M with curved humps, what do you think? McDonald's. When you hear just do it, what do you think? Nike. When you hear roll tide, what do you think? University of Alabama. Why do those things pop into your head? Because most Americans have a high degree of awareness of what those companies are and the branding that's attached to them. The more aware a consumer is to what a brand is, the more valuable that brand becomes. Why? Because think about it. If no one knows that a brand exists, even if they make the best product in the world, then no one's gonna buy it. Awareness is thus a fundamental aspect of what a brand is. Following up on awareness, we have brand association, which we've mentioned in passing, but it is a concept or emotion, object or image that comes to mind when someone brings up a brand around you. For example, if I say Michael Jordan, what immediately comes to your mind? 
maybe basketball, the NBA, the Dream Team, Chicago Bulls, University of North Carolina, Charlotte Hornets, Nike, whichever one of these things comes to your mind is the brand or brands that you associate with Michael. Brand association can help add a lot of value to your company as it helps create awareness. So maybe no one knows of your company or your brand. So you go out and you pay a big name athlete, let's say LeBron James, to be a brand sponsor. In return for the money that you pay him, he appears in a couple of commercials and agrees to use your product when he is in public. As people see him in the commercials and using your product, they begin to associate him with your brand. They see your brand and him as one in the same. And so if people are fans of him, they're more than likely to go out and buy your product because through the association, they think your brand and him are one in the same and they want to support him. So they go out and they buy that product. This is basically the idea behind athlete sponsorship deals. The deal creates a brand association, which in turn can lead to better brand awareness and higher brand equity. But none of this matters if we don't have the last element, perceived value. Not surprisingly, this is just how valuable people believe a brand and the products or services of the brand to be. As scholars say, quote, Perceived quality or perceived value is your customer's view of the quality of a product or service, both in terms of what they expect and also in comparison with how they perceive the quality of competing offerings. That means perceived value is defined as a measure of belief, end quote. So now that we understand these basic elements of what a brand is and what the fundamental characteristics of it are, you're probably wondering why all this branding stuff is so important to sports. Well, just like with any other product or service that is competing for customers, sport teams, sport product companies, sport organizations, they all need to concern themselves with building a strong brand that helps differentiate or make them stand out from all the other teams or companies they're competing against. Remember, the sport industry is crowded and full of competition. Just think of a professional football team, for example. They're obviously competing against all the other teams in the league for fans and players and employees, but they're also competing against all other professional sports teams. Maybe not for players, but definitely for fans and maybe for employees. Think of it this way. Fans or people in general only have so much time and money to spend. We call this money discretionary money. Discretionary is just any money outside the money that you spend on living expenses like food or rent, mortgage, electricity, a car, or transportation. So after people spend their money on those things, the things that they need in order to survive, hopefully they have a little bit of money left over. That is their discretionary money. And all sports teams and all leagues are competing to get that fan to spend that money on them, on merchandise or tickets, or maybe a special TV package to watch them play, whatever it is. In addition, other industries like the entertainment industry, think of movies and concerts, or the travel industry, think of airlines, hotels, restaurants, are also competing against the sports teams trying to convince people to take that money and spend it on them. So that one professional football team is competing against thousands, if not millions of other teams and companies to get people to give them their money. 
So how do they stand out? How do they try to attract people and get them excited about their product or their team? How do they convince people to spend what little money they have left over on them? Well, they might do one of a hundred things, but every option they have ties in to branding. Thus, building a strong brand with high levels of brand equity and awareness, loads of perceived value, and positive brand associations is essential for these sport organizations. You might be saying, wait, what? Don't you just have to throw up a commercial on TV or do an ad campaign on social media or stick something up on a billboard? Isn't that how you attract people and get them to buy your product? Well, yes, and all of those forms of advertising are tied back to the central tenets of branding that we've already discussed. Each of them is a way of increasing consumers' awareness of your brand. Each of them works to build some type of positive association with the brand. Each of them is trying to convey some type of benefit or value that you will get from using that brand, all with the hope that you will buy that brand, enjoy consuming it or using it, and then, as a result, continue to buy that brand and become loyal to that. So branding is important in sports because, when done well, It provides us with a means to differentiate ourselves and stand out and hopefully, as a result, attract new customers and compete for that discretionary dollar in an ever-expanding and crowded marketplace. The better job we do with creating a unique brand that catches the target market's attention, the more success we will have in achieving these desired outcomes. Which means the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we go about creating and building not just a brand, but a brand full of equity? Well, you need to start with coming up with a brand name. And that name should be positive and distinct. It should generate some type of positive feelings and associations. It should be easy to remember and easy to pronounce. The name should be translatable into a dynamic attitude-oriented logo that should be consistent with the image of the rest of the product's lines, the organization, and or the city in which that brand is located. For example, a sport organization can easily capitalize on the good feelings someone has for their community by becoming a spin-off of the community itself and incorporating a team name that already has some association with the area making it easy for local fans to identify with. Two prime examples are the New York Liberty of the WNBA and the Colorado Rockies of Major League Baseball, both of which have taken landmarks, Lady Liberty in New York and the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, and turned them into a part of their identification, to a part of their brand, making it easy for someone from New York or Colorado to associate themselves with that brand. Many professional sport teams have followed this example and named themselves after various aspects of the city or the area where they're located. However, when those teams move, we go from having good branding to having awful branding. Think about the Los Angeles Lakers. Before they were in Los Angeles, the team was located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a city that's known as the land of 10,000 lakes. Hence, why the team, which had originally moved to Minnesota from Detroit, changed their name from the Gems to the Lakers. In 1960, though, due to dwindling attendance, the team moved from Minneapolis to Los Angeles. 
Did they drop the Lakers name though, since they were no longer in that city? Nope. Same thing happened with the Utah Jazz, a team that was originally located in New Orleans, the birthplace of jazz music, upped and moved to Utah, a place not known for jazz, but they didn't drop the name. Thus, in both instances, we have a team's brand completely removed and separate from the local community, which does oftentimes make it harder for people in that community to form a level of attachment to that brand. But not all teams keep their names. When the NBA relocated the Charlotte Hornets to New Orleans in 2001, they initially followed what the Lakers and the Jazz had done and kept the name of the previous team, and they just became the New Orleans Hornets. After playing under that name for years, the owner of the team decided a rebrand was needed. As the owner, Tom Benson, said, quote, the nickname Hornets didn't mean anything to the community, end quote. So what do they do? They look to rebrand the team to match the community, and they ended up with the New Orleans Pelicans. As Benson said, quote, the Pelican represents New Orleans, just like the Saints. They have incredible resolve. If they can do that, the team can do the same, end quote. Reiterating his point, the Brown Pelican is Louisiana State Bird and has become identified with the efforts to restore the Louisiana coast, which has been damaged extensively by the 2010 BP oil spill and the erosion from Katrina and other massive storms. So the Pelican became a great new brand for the team, something that individuals in New Orleans could identify with much stronger than the Hornet. Outside of top professional leagues, there are a ton of interesting examples of good and bad branding in minor league sports, especially in minor league baseball. A go-to for sport marketing classes is the minor league baseball team in Montgomery, Alabama, known as the Biscuits. Explaining the reasoning behind the team name, their owner, Tom Dixon, said, quote, we're always looking for a name that's a little bit on the edge, which Biscuits is, of course. But we also want a name that seriously captures the fun of the South and the fun of Montgomery, end quote. So what do you think? Is the Biscuits an edgy brand? Does it make you think of baseball or Montgomery, Alabama? Maybe not. Maybe it does. The Biscuit is a classical food item in the South. The important thing to think of here is when you hear the name, what pops into your head? A bit clearer example, what I would say is a bad sports name, is actually my old employer, Coastal Carolina University Chanticleers. Why is the nickname or brand Chanticleers bad? Well, it basically violates every single one of the rules that we've discussed with branding. To begin with, the brand isn't that easy to remember or pronounce. If you need proof, just go and listen to anyone on ESPN talk about their football, baseball, or basketball teams. Back at the beginning of the 2020 football season, an ESPN personality named Pat McAfee was talking about their division, and he predicted the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers to finish in last place. Obviously, though, mispronouncing Chanticleer. This is just one example. We're not calling him out specifically. Back in 2015, when the Chanticleers made the NCAA men's basketball tournament, I remember watching the games and hearing Reggie Miller continuously struggle to pronounce the name correctly. And you can't really fault him or McAfee. If you look at the spelling of Chanticleers, most people probably would say Chanticleers. 
And while it's not far off, it is a branding issue. I mean, imagine people messed up pronouncing Nike all the time. It could lead to confusion about what exactly people are talking about or referencing, which is the exact opposite thing we are trying to do with branding something. We want to create distinction, not confusion. Another rule that we discussed is the name should generate some type of positive feelings and associations. So what is the association of Chanticleers? What do you think about when you hear it? Well, most of you probably don't have any reference point, which is problematic in and of itself. But initially, they wanted you to think of the University of South Carolina because prior to 1994, Coastal Carolina was a satellite campus of USC. What's USC's mascot? What's their brand? They're the Gamecocks, which is basically a chicken or a rooster. So CCU, as a way of paying respect and trying to keep in line with the state branding, decided to go with Chanticleers as their brand and their mascot. But what the heck is a Chanticleer? That's the issue we run into. Well, just like a Gamecock, a Chanticleer is a rooster. And it actually gets its name from the Canterbury Tales, in which the nun had a rooster named Chanticleer. And the word Chanticleer is actually a French word that means to sing clearly. This rooster in this tale is the master of all roosters. And so Coastal Carolina thought, hey, let's keep our brand associated with USC and have a chicken or a rooster as a mascot. But not just any chicken or rooster, let's have the master of all chickens and roosters. Now, some of you might be saying, well, what's wrong with that? That seems like it makes perfect sense. It's different, which is good. It's in line with the state of South Carolina somewhat. So it's not that bad. And if you're thinking that, you're not so far off. But remember, when we are branding something, we want to elicit an immediate positive response, an immediate positive feeling or association. My guess would be that most of you had no idea about those associations and never even heard of a Chanticleer so the brand is falling a bit short there. It's just like my alma mater, the Virginia Tech Hokies. Everyone always asked, what's a Hokie? And we actually, during orientation, learned how to respond. If someone asked us, what's a Hokie? We were supposed to say, we are a Hokie. But if you have to ask someone, then maybe the brand isn't as good as you think it is. So these examples and the rules that we have gone over help lay a pretty good foundation for how sports teams go about creating their brand. The first thing we see with many professional sports teams is that they look to other sports teams in the area to see what their brand is and determine if there is an option that would provide synergy with those teams. A prime example of this is the Brooklyn basketball team, formerly the New Jersey Nets. When the team was first established in 1967, they were a member of the American Basketball Association, or the ABA, and they named themselves the New Jersey Americans. But when they moved to Long Island in 1968, they changed their name from the Americans to the Nets. Why? Synergy. The team looked around them at what other professional teams were in the area, and they saw that there were the Jets in the NFL and the Mets in Major League Baseball. So why not keep with that sound and go with the Nets, which makes sense in basketball because you shoot the ball through a net. Another prime example are the three professional teams in Pittsburgh, the Steelers, the Penguins, and the Pirates. Now, you might be thinking, wait, 
These names don't have anything in common, but remember, branding isn't just the name of the team. It's any type of visual representation, the logos, the colors. So what is the synergy between these three Pittsburgh brands? The colors. All three teams have the same three colors, black, gold, and white. The next thing you see with professional sports teams is soliciting feedback and input from their fans, oftentimes through some type of internet poll. What's the point of this? Well, the idea is that if the fans pick the team name, if the fans pick the brand, then they will feel some type of ownership over the team, which in turn will help them build an attachment to that team's brand, increasing their brand loyalty from the jump. A prime example of this happened in Seattle when they were the 15th Major League Soccer franchise. Instead of picking a name for the team themselves, i.e. branding the team themselves, the owners decided to give the fans a voice in the form of a quote-unquote election. Interestingly, though, none of the options given to the fans were actually chosen. Instead, a write-in campaign won the contest, and the team was branded the Seattle Sounders. Where did the name Sounders come from? Well, it turns out that the Sounders were a previous A-League or minor league team with a great deal of past local fan support. In basketball, the Toronto Raptors got their name through a fan vote. Why the Raptors? Well, back in 1993, when the team was created, guess what was one of the top movies in the theaters? That's right, Jurassic Park. And the Raptors were one of the iconic characters. Maybe the most extreme example of this, though, is the FCF League, or the Fan Controlled Football League. Never heard of it? Well, they just played their inaugural season in February of 2021, and they let their fans pick the names of every single one of their teams, which led to names like the Glacier Boys, the Zappers, the Beasts, and the Wild Aces. Finally, many professional sports teams and even college teams, if they don't go the route of trying to create synergy with other teams in the market or letting their fans vote, they will go the route of the Pelicans, the Liberty, or the Rockies. They'll identify something in the area, a landmark, a state animal, a historic thing, something that the local community identifies with, and they will name their team or make their brand all about that. The idea being that the local community already identifies with that thing in the area. And so the team is trying to capitalize on the idea of brand association and link their new team to that thing that is already seen as synonymous with the city. Such an act helps establish brand loyalty immediately amongst the locals. Part of taking that new brand, whether it be one that's attached to local community's history, one that's tied in with other teams in the area, or one that's chosen completely by the fans, and then growing it, comes down to developing what we call a strong brand personality. The concept of brand personality refers to, quote, a set of human characteristics associated with a brand. In essence, a brand's personality denotes human-like characteristics and features which are typically displayed through different visual cues presented in advertising and marketing communications. Brand personality is regularly influenced not only by the marketing team of a company and how they display it, but by the consumer's perception of the product or service being offered. It's also influenced by the consumer's experience with the brand, as well as the assorted visual identity touch points found in marketing in different forms of advertising communications. 
Why is establishing this distinct brand personality so important? Because in a crowded marketplace, a personality helps that brand, that product, that company stand out. Let me change it up slightly and reference something that might make a little bit more sense. Think about going to a party with a bunch of people you've never met before. At the end of the party, you're leaving with your spouse, your significant other, your friends, whomever you came with, and you're trying to talk about the different people that were there. Who are the people that are going to stand out to you? Who are the people that you're most likely to remember? The people with the personalities, the people that have certain things about them that make them stick out from the crowd, that make them rememberable. Well, the same holds true with a brand. We talk in marketing a lot about this. We see so many advertisements in a given day. Different studies will say between five and 15,000 advertisements in a given day. Most of those advertisements that we see display the brand of the product they're asking us to buy. And most of those don't stick in our head. Most of those we see and they leave us immediately. However, when you see an advertisement, whether that's a commercial on TV, something that pops up on the internet, on a web page, whether that's something that pops up on your Instagram feed or Facebook, those things that stick out to us that we remember are the things that have personality, that have something that makes it distinct. In addition, research by academics has demonstrated that brand personality allows consumers to connect with brands, especially when the brand's personality matches the consumer's personality. One study in 2012 said, quote, brand building goes beyond creating image and awareness. It is a way of building a corporate soul and communicating it both within and outside of a company, end quote. Brand personality thus allows consumers to connect with a brand on a more personal level, especially when they perceive to have traits in common with the brand. In sports, we need to work to develop this brand personality to make our product stand out in this crowded marketplace. The question becomes, how do we do that? How do we develop this very distinct brand personality? Well, Back in 1997, an individual named A. Kerr initially established a scale for measuring brand personality constructed on the big five personality traits that we can actually look to to help us create our own brand personality. That initial scale that he created focused on things like competence, excitement, ruggedness, sincerity, and sophistication. And other scales have come out since. In 2012, uh, another brand personality scale came out looking at things like authenticity, competitiveness, credibility, morality, and prestige. And then another one came out in 2014 that talked about things like conscientiousness, extroversion, open-mindedness, and rebelliousness. Each of those aspects in those different scales are different personality traits that we can associate with different brands. But how do we know what type of brand personality we want within our company or maybe within our sports team that we're starting up from the scratch? Well, the advice I always give to people is start by looking inward. Look at yourself. Because as we just cited, all the research shows that consumers are going to be the most attracted to brands that have a similar personality as them. So to understand who is going to be drawn to a brand, we thus need to think about what type of consumers' personalities do we want to try to attract. Easiest way to do that is to begin with ourselves. Look at what your personality is and then look at what brands you're involved with. 
you can do that or you can go and say, well, what type of people do I want consuming my product? Do I want buying my product? Do I want watching my sports team being fans? And we can look at the characteristics of those people and we can then try to create a brand that reflects those same characteristics. For example, let's say I want to start a new top-end soccer shoe company where I want our shoes to be the best shoes, the highest caliber, the most expensive. And so I create Dr. C's soccer shoes, and I'm trying to build this brand. Well, I know the customer that I want. I want that top end. I want that person that wants to be successful. I want the person that wants the best product regardless of the price. So my brand personality has to reflect that. It has to be glitz and glam. It has to be prestigious. I have to focus on the sophistication of my footwear, talking about in my marketing communications how this product is better than all others, the science that goes into it. Talk about how it's constructed. Talk about how expensive it is. Show people wearing that and succeeding. Those different personality traits that I'm installing into my marketing communications are going to slowly start to create a brand personality. And people that share that personality, that strive for excellence, that want for the best, that sophistication, that prestige, they're going to be the most drawn to my product. Maybe the best example that you can think of with this in the world of sports is a company like Red Bull. If I asked you what is Red Bull's personality, one of the first things that probably is going to come to your mind is excitement. They are adrenaline junkies. And they want to display that and attract people that have that same personality. So what do they do in their marketing communications? What do they show you? First off, extreme sports. They don't have just your typical baseball and basketball players. They might have some, but those aren't their primary market. They have race cars. They have skydiving. They have surfing. They have dangerous sports, sports that push the limits that are exciting. Why? Because if I display a person skydiving with the Red Bull logo, the individuals consuming that marketing communication are going to associate that level of excitement with Red Bull. And those individuals that share in that personality trait, that crave excitement, they're going to be more likely now to buy my product in this crowded marketplace of energy drinks. So we always want to begin by looking at ourselves and reflecting on our own personality and the type of products that we're drawn to. We then want to go and look at the type of people that we want to attract to our product. And we want to look at what type of images reflect that form of personality trait that we're striving to attract and then figure out ways to advertise, to communicate those traits to slowly build that brand's personality. So once we know what we want the personality to be. The question then becomes, how do we go about creating and building that personality into the brand? A quick way to do this is through the concept of brand association that we discussed earlier. That is, we tie your brand into a more well-known and respected and established brand. A brand that already has the same personality that you're striving to achieve. Why do we do this? Because your customers or our target audience will look at the established brand and assume, either consciously or subconsciously, that your brand must be similar to the brand we're associating with. 
This is why companies choose to go out and get big name athletes or actors to appear in their advertisements, instead of just choosing some random person or random actor off the street. That athlete or that well-known actor has a brand or image that the public knows and identifies as being part of them. When they see that actor in a commercial or on a billboard or doing an Instagram post promoting that new company, people associate that actor with that company and that company gets labeled as having the same or nearly similar characteristics as the actor or athlete. This is the big reasons why companies are so careful about who they choose to bring in to promote their product. Because while this can be a great way to build brand personality, it can also go horribly wrong. Let's look at the classic example of Tiger Woods, just to drive this point home. Arguably, Tiger Woods is one of the greatest golfers in history. Back in the 2000s, Tiger was on top of the world. He was winning golf tournaments left and right, winning major after major, even piling up four majors in a row at one point, which is virtually unheard of. Around that time, he also got married to a beautiful woman and had two amazing kids, and he just seemed to always do everything right. He was charismatic and personal in interviews and at press conference. He was always smiling and laughing and just seemed like that classic American success story. A kid who grew up learning golf from his father, worked hard, went to college on a golf scholarship at Stanford, graduated, and then took the golf world by storm. All of this led to a brand personality that would be described as friendly, strong, tough, exciting, fun, hardworking, talented, dynamic, family-oriented, and successful amongst many other things. The fact that he played golf also associated certain personality characteristics with him, like old-fashioned, sophisticated, and wealthy. This brand personality, made up of a combination of these various views and personality traits, was seen as a goldmine for companies, and everyone flocked to Tiger Woods to try to sign him to do sponsorship deals. Why? Because companies wanted their customers to view them just like they view Tiger. Think about it. What company wouldn't want the customers to see them as successful or friendly or exciting and dynamic? Almost no one. So you saw companies like Nike, Gillette, Rolex, and so many others just hand over boatloads of money. In exchange, Tiger appeared in commercials for them, and he used their products. He did a bunch of other things. And as a result, those brands were able to associate themselves with the Tiger Woods brands and establish a similar brand personality. And for the most part, they were very successful in doing this. Until, that is, November 27, 2009. That is the day that Tiger Woods was involved in a single car accident at his house. Long story short, over the next few weeks, it slowly came out that the Tiger Woods that was presented to the world and in public was a completely different person than the true Tiger Woods, the person who was behind the scenes. It turns out that he was involved with multiple women outside of his wife, and he was struggling with numerous issues at home. He voluntarily put himself into rehab for a sex addiction, and he apologized to his family, his fans, and his sponsors in a very public press conference where he admitted to a number of the mistakes that he made. It was a bit too little too late, though. Tiger and his wife got divorced, and the majority of the sponsors dropped him, including but not limited to Accentra, AT&T, Buick, and Gillette. A few, though, most notably Nike, remained with him. Why did some companies drop him while others stayed with him? It all comes back to brand association and building a brand personality, or 
in this case, how we tear down a brand and its personality. Just like the good image of an athlete or an actor can help a brand, a bad image can bring it down very quick. Brands were worried that these personality traits that people now associated with Tiger, things like being wild and unfaithful and selfish, might start to be associated with them if Tiger remained attached as a spokesperson. So building your own brand personality in the mind of the consumer through the use of athletes or social media influencers or actors can work well. And people might take the way they view that person and transfer it over to your company, giving you the ability to fix how people view your brand and product. But it does come with some risk because as we now know, especially in today's world, the view customers have of a person can change very, very quickly. And when that happens, companies need to be prepared to deal with the consequences, potentially through dropping the person, just like Accenture, AT&T, Buick, and Gillette did with Tiger, or through having some type of plan in place to deal with the crisis. Sports teams have to be even more aware of this because they don't just hire athletes to be spokespersons, they hire athletes to perform. Therefore, the athlete is the center of everything that they do. So sports teams, generally speaking, take steps to help assure that the athlete's brand matches with their teams. Maybe a team will look at athletes with certain characteristics and only draft them or only sign them in free agency. More specifically, a team like the Steelers, which is seen as hardworking, lunch pail, middle-class team, might value certain players more who exhibit those same characteristics, whereas a team like the Los Angeles Lakers, who are viewed as Showtime, Hollywood, Glitz and Glam, they might value a completely different type of athlete. And if a team brings in an athlete that doesn't fit that brand personality, what happens? The fans oftentimes reject them, even if they help them win. Why? Because fans associate themselves with the team's brand. They associate their personality with the brand's personality. So the team's brand is the fan's brand. And if the players don't line up with the fans, they will disavow those players. They will disown those players. And either way, the team is going to lose money. But what if you don't have millions of dollars to spend on athletes or thousands to spend on an Instagram model? Or you don't have a team of athletes to turn to? How else can we go about building a brand and a brand personality? Well, that brings us to this idea of visual identity. Visual identity is a subsection of brand personality, and it refers to, quote, all imagery and graphical information that expresses who a brand is and differentiates it from all others. In other words, it describes everything customers can see from the logo to the interior design of a store, end quote. The purpose of visual identity is to inform the people viewing it about your brand and the services and products offered and to create an emotional impression and bring the many different aspects of the business together under a unified image. For sports teams, visual identity is most easily seen in the team's logos or their colors or the trademark images that represent the name of the team or the city the team is located in. Remember, a logo is designed to attract the eye of a customer while at the same time informing them about the product in a subtle way that distinguishes and separates your product or service from a competitor. Generally, this consists of a combination of words, maybe the company's or the team's name or a known abbreviation or slogan, and it's normally in some type of unique 
font or text and or some type of image that represents the brand. Think of your favorite sports team or your favorite college. Imagine what their logo looks like. For example, I'm a professor at Western Kentucky University where we have multiple logos. One of which is just the initials WKU in a unique black or red font, i.e. the school colors. Another logo consists of putting the white WKU letters with a black 3D border behind them on a red towel held by a hand. What does this have to do with the brand of Western Kentucky? Well, back in the day, their old basketball coach, Coach Diddle, famously used to wave a towel at games to get the crowd riled up. This became synonymous with the brand of Western, and so they used that as a logo to represent their school and their athletic department. They have a few other academic versions of the logo as well. The WKU text, a company with the image of a well-known bell tower that is on campus, for example, but all of them have the same identifiable WKU. So when fans or students see that, they know they're referencing the Western Kentucky University brand. What WKU has done with their logo is not unique. And in fact, it's a pretty standard for colleges and universities to include the initials of a school in a logo and then use some type of identifiable mark like the red towel as a piece of their image. Ohio State does this with the black O. UNC does this with the blue NC right on top of each other. Maryland does this with a big turtle with an M. Virginia Tech has the VT. The University of Miami has the U in orange and green and so on. Each of these logos and any other ones you can think of from professional sports like the Dallas Cowboys star or the New York Yankees NY or the ice skating hockey playing penguin of the Pittsburgh Penguins, all of these serve as a visual representation of the brand, something that helps people know the team and the product and something that makes the organization stand out in a competitive marketplace if done well. So then how do we know how to do this well? Well, first, you wanna make sure that any logo or image that you create coincides with the brand of the company and more specifically, the brand personality. So if you're starting a yoga company, you wanna make sure that you choose soft fonts and colors that are relaxing. Using bright colors like red and neon yellow or an image like a fighter jet probably aren't going to be good because they aren't matched up with your brand's personality. The advice that I always give is begin by thinking of a list of adjectives that describe your company, then think about what images relate to those adjectives. In addition to having the imagery match the personality of the brand, you also wanna make sure that it is distinct and stands out from the competitors. Imagine the example of three different professional football teams that all have the same blue star as a logo. When a customer sees a blue star, then they're not going to know if it's the Dallas Cowboys blue star or if it's one of the other two teams. They don't know, which causes brand confusion. We do not want our customers to be confused. We don't want them thinking of another company when they see a brand that is ours because A, that might lead them to going out and buying a product or a service from that other company or B, it might lead them to equating the experience they had with that company to us. For example, let's say, a new fan of football goes to a game and all they remember is that the team with the star in the helmet played awful and that the players were bad sports, that they were yelling at the ref, that they were taking cheap shots on the other players and so on. That new fan is going to think, man, that star team is awful. I don't want to root for them. So now, every time they see the blue star, they're going to just equate it with the experience that they just had. Meaning, if we have multiple teams with a star logo, 
that one fan might very well just think all the teams are the same and hate them all. So we want to make sure that we are being distinct, that we stand out, to make sure people can tell our brand, our logo, apart from others. Finally, we want to make sure the logo is memorable. Think of it this way. If I say McDonald's, what's the logo that pops into your head? How about Wendy's? If I say the Olympics, do you see the five interlinked rings in your mind? All of these logos and many others are extremely memorable, which means if the customer sees them, they know what the company is. We want to do the same things with our logos in sports. But visual identity can extend beyond just logos and sports. It can be mascots. It can be the team's jerseys and uniforms. It can even be the stadium or arena hosting the contest. One classic out-of-the-box example of visual identity is Boise State. Known as the Broncos, the team's colors are blue and orange. So in an attempt to create synergy within their branding, they not only made their team uniforms blue and orange, they took it a step further and they installed blue field turf. They were actually the first school to have a non-green football field, and they even went too far to trademark, quote, the color blue as applied to artificial turf, end quote. What was so special about the blue turf? Well, not only did it serve as a visual representation for the university, something that tied in well to the brand personality, but maybe even more importantly, it served as a way to differentiate Boise State from all other colleges and universities. So when you see blue turf, you now automatically think of Boise State. Outside of just the color of the field, college athletic teams oftentimes rely on their stadium as a form of a visual identifier. Whether that is the horseshoe of the Ohio State University football team or Duke University's Cameron Indoor Stadium or UCLA's Rose Bowl or Kansas's Allen Fieldhouse. Whenever we see those stadiums, we immediately know or think of those athletic departments and those teams. We even see this a little bit in professional sports, though to a much lesser degree. We have places like Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, or Jerry World, aka AT&T Stadium, the place where the Dallas Cowboys play. All of those serve as a visual representation of those teams and athletic departments. So all in all, companies and sport organizations look to create a brand with a personality that their consumers can identify with and oftentimes relate to and respect. Part of that brand personality is how the brand is visually displayed to the customers. The logo the company uses, the uniforms the athlete wears, the team colors, the quarter field they play on, the stadium in which they play, and the team mascots all serve as visual representations of the team and the brand, and they all should, if created well, help the customer know what the product is they're about to consume, especially in light of the competition in the marketplace. How else do sports teams stand out and build a brand? They're athletes. They draft and sign athletes in free agency that fit their brand. They then use those athletes to help reiterate the personality they're striving for by placing them in advertisements or promotions for the product. This can be a double-edged sword, though, as we talked about with Tiger Woods, because when athlete is doing well and winning, the brand and the team will benefit. But if the athlete falls off skill-wise or does something morally or ethically questionable, the team might be seen as being morally and ethically questionable as well, thus diminishing the brand and shifting the brand personality away from the one the team is working for to one that is more negative and potentially harmful to the team. 
organizations outside of sports can capitalize on athletes' brands as well by employing them as sponsors or spokespersons, paying them money in exchange for the athlete using their product or speaking positively or posting about it on social media or appearing in advertisement campaigns for it. These efforts are generally most successful when there's a strong match, as we said, between the brand personality and the personality of the athlete. Which brings us to the last little bit I wanna get into before we end this episode. How do athletes, and maybe even more importantly, how do you work to build a brand and a brand personality? Well, similar to companies and sports, people, athletes, and really anyone wanting to brand themselves should first begin by looking inward and reflecting on themselves. Try to identify who you are and define and describe yourself specifically. Companies in sports teams do this by looking at what values they hold close. People can do the same. Right now, for example, think about what your core values are. Maybe one is honesty or kindness or fun, maybe respect, wisdom or religion. Whatever it is, those values serve as the core elements of the brands you are creating. What do we do with these core values? What do these core values become? In the business world, they help us create our vision and purpose statements, and they lead way to our mission, our goals, and our objectives. In the marketing world, they help us create our brand personality. These values become the human characteristics that we hold dear and the ones that we want other people to associate with our brand, which, as we're discussing now, can be a company or it can be a person. It can be you. So once we realize what those core values are that we want to drive our brand and recognize that these are the things that we want to be associated with our brand, we then need to create visual cues that represent those things and communicate those things to others. For sports teams or organizations, that means creating a logo or logos, picking a color scheme, designing merchandise, jerseys, apparel, creating a mascot, and so on. But if we're working on building a personal brand, we're building your brand. You don't need all that stuff necessarily. Instead, think how do we visually represent our brand to others? Well, in today's world, that's social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and all those other places that serve as a place where we can present our brand visually to the world. Just think of the quote-unquote famous people you follow on Instagram. Maybe your favorite athlete or actor or your social media star. Every time they post something, they are showing you and everyone their brand. And if you track that person, you should be able to start to recognize patterns. Patterns that reveal what their brand personality is. For example, one of my favorite athletes to follow on Instagram is a basketball player named Boban. He's a big seven-footer who played last year for the Dallas Mavericks. He played previously for the 76ers. And then before that, he started his career with San Antonio. And if you look at his posts, he's always happy. He's always laughing. He's always having fun. He's just loving life. And if you go and look at each of those posts, you will see all the work he has done to build this brand personality. Or maybe even more famously, go look at Cristiano Ronaldo, who has 311 million followers on Instagram. His posts all show one of a few things, either him living a life of luxury or him playing soccer and winning. So what is his brand personality? Success, fame, glitz, glamour, athleticism, and so on. 
he and probably a team of people around him have worked hard to carefully cultivate that specific brand. They don't just throw up some random posts or stories. No, they think carefully and they make sure each image or each sentence or each thing that they put up coincides with the personality they're trying to show the world. Now, you might be thinking, that's great, that's interesting, but I don't want to be a social media influencer or get paid to post stuff, so none of this applies to me. Wrong. Nowadays, if you're applying for a job, you better believe that a company is going to look you up on LinkedIn and probably is gonna pull you up on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter too. They want to see who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And that brand that you're creating through what you post says a lot about you and what you might bring to that company. Those people doing the searches all have one thing in common. They're all looking to see how your brand, the one that you show and the one that you've created online will associate and tie in to their brand. They want to know what you can add to it. Now, yes, your LinkedIn isn't going to show everything, but it creates an initial image in their mind. And if it's a good image and it sticks out and it catches their attention, just like that McDonald's logo or that Nike logo, it will stick in their mind and it might help you get that job. And the reverse is true too. If that branding is unkept and sloppy, it might scare them away, even if you have all the qualifications for the job, because they might be worried that you could be their Tiger Woods that you could slip up, that people are going to associate negative things with you and that that would reflect on their company. Why do I bring all this up? Two reasons really. First, part of what we do in sport management is try to get people ready to enter into the field of sport, get jobs and move up into management. What you know is a massive part of being able to do that, but it's not the only thing that matters. Your brand matters too. So that means you need to begin working on your brand personality and your visual identity. Ask yourself what brand you want to represent to your employers or your potential future employers. And then ask yourself if the image that you have created matches those expectations. Branding isn't just something that we do in marketing to try to sell a product or a service. It's something that we all are trying to do to sell ourselves to the other people that are trying to hire us. Which leads me to the second reason I bring all this up. The new NCAA legislation on NIL is also known as name, image, and likeness. I don't want to dive too far deep into NILs right now. We have a few other podcasts that have done that. But I do want to say, now that college athletes can make money off of their name, likeness, and image, how they brand themselves is more important than ever. The most successfully branded athletes will be able to grow their followings and be able to capitalize on it like never before. So whether you're a college athlete looking to create and grow your brand or someone looking for a new job or to move up in your company, branding is key. Take time to create a list of values. Think about what brands you want to show the world. Cultivate visual representations of those values and personalities. Show yourself using products that espouse those traits. Word your comments in ways that reflect those and build a collection of examples. Might be images, experiences, references, etc. that support the personality you're trying to show. And get it out there. Not just on one platform, but across multiple. Be consistent across all. If you do all of this, you're going to begin to build your own strong brand. When I was doing research for this podcast, I came across this great quote that I thought was a great ending sentiment. 
quote, start by knowing what you want and who you are, build credibility around it and deliver it online in a compelling way, end quote. Hopefully this podcast today has not only provided you an introduction into what branding is and how it applies to the world of sports, but also helped you learn how it applies to everyone, regardless of what they do or what they want to do. As Steve Forbes said, quote, your brand is the single most important investment you can make in your business, end quote. Work on that investment, build that brand. And if you have any questions about branding or how it applies to sports or how you go about creating your own personal brand for business, please feel free to message us on Instagram at The Sport Professor. Follow us on the podcast, stay up to date on the latest episodes and to learn more about what's happening behind the scenes in sports. Until next time though, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sport Professor Podcast.